I'm wondering if you ever had a transparency fail. And what I mean by that is, have you ever opened yourself up to someone or opened yourself up to a group of people because maybe you were working some steps, you know, you were in a 12-step program or maybe you heard it from TV or maybe you were reading in James 5 where it talks about confess your sins and you will be healed. Maybe you just knew that you couldn't hold this in, right? And you had to share something of yourself and you share it and instead of it drawing you closer to the person you shared, they're like, oh, and they start moonwalking back away from you. <laughs> I, I, I remember I was sitting on the porch of this missionary um, friend of mine that I worked with, and we were over in the middle of Central Africa, and I was just talking, because I'm used to being able to talk recklessly. I'm used to being able to talk to brothers and sisters and just tell it how it is and just be a hundred. Amen. But it's not like that. It's not like that with everybody. And we got to know that. And I'm talking about my kids and I'm talking about, you know what? Sometimes I just want to strangle them, choke them out. You know what I mean? I just, I just can't even be in the room with them sometimes. And and, and the brother looks at me and, and he's like, yeah, I prefer you. Like, and then he's like, yeah, I used to struggle with anger too before I became a Christian. And it was like a punch in the gut, right? And that's a funny-ish example. Didn't feel funny at the time. But maybe you've had these types of experiences where, you know, you're getting into a new relationship and you know, he's like, all right, well, now you start breaking down your sexual history, right? That's a fun conversation, right? And it's just like, sometimes we share who we are, and it goes badly. <laughs> and so what we do is then we fake who we are, right? And there's this huge difference between like our profile picture on Facebook and the one that we randomly get taken, you know what I mean, by our friends. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we spend all the time trying to, like, you know, put the camera up here. They don't see, all, you know what I mean? It's got a filter. It looks good. And we present ourselves as best as we can. And then, you know, some bum friend of ours takes a picture of us just, like, eating wings. And it's a side view, you know what I mean? It's just, like, the most unflattering thing. And we got, like, sauce coming down our face. Fakeness, though, to, you know, that's funny, but like fakeness is a problem. Fakeness is a problem that pervades church people. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're at church, right? Fakeness is like a cancer in the church. We read in this Bible of ours, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what I want to talk to you tonight for the next few moments is that the fear of the Lord is going to fight and confront and win and beat up your fakeness and your foolishness. That you need the fear of the Lord. And that's the only thing that can like stun you, wake you up 
from living a foolish life or trying to put some potpourri over the foolishness and try to fake and try to act like you're doing better than you really are. Historically, historically, there has been a criticism of Christians that goes like this, that, you know, Christians, they're like, they're like snowballs. Inside the snowball is dog crap. And so on the outside, it's nice and white and pretty, but on the inside, it's not so nice and pretty. And you know the difference between a, a snowball that has ice in the middle and a snowball that has some dog dew in the middle and some snowball that has like rocks and whatever? You can't tell. They all look like snowballs until you drop one, until you squeeze one, until you smell one, until you throw one. And let's be honest, a lot of Christians, right, maybe they look a certain way. They look like that nice little snowball, but then when things start going south in their life, reality catches up. Amen? And we need a true fear of the Lord. Not just in like a few areas of our life. We're not here just to fake our faith and fake the funk, right? But we're here to experience the Lord so that it changes our lives. One thing that I hear about Epiphany that really I love to hear, because, you know, as a pastor, it's like, it's like music to my ears, is that people will say they come and they visit, and they're like, one thing I like about this is that people are real. You know, I don't come in and I can be myself. I don't want that to ever change. And if anything, I have to be better at that. Because we're all working through our insecurities, you know? And, and I want us to embrace people who are struggling, embrace people who are different, embrace everyone. Because you know what? We're all different, we all struggling. None of us are perfect. And we need to push forward, not by the power of the fear of what other people think or the fear of what other people see or the fear of what others feel about us or have heard about us. And you know what? Not just what other people think and all that fakeness, but also we need to get rid of that Facebook, Oprah, pop psychology, meme theology of that just like love yourself and don't worry about anybody else have you ever met anyone that's more fake than the person that's constantly talking about how awesome they are right like i am a warrior princess you know what i mean like <laughs> i am amazing you know what god puts his greatest burdens on his most badass kids you know all this stuff like no you ain't that big a deal you don't need to narrate how great you are. You don't need to rehearse how amazing you are. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. You have to get lost in the mix. You, you get to disappear. As you see the sunrise, and you see the glory of the Lord, and you're in awe of Him, and it's all about Him, and it's not about you anymore. Um... I want to show you this slide. This will go over the head of Dylan and Tatiana. That's cool. <laughs> Who remembers Stuart Smalley? Oh, I lost it. I don't know why. 
There he is. Who remembers Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live? He would sit down. Yeah, Val remembers. He'd sit down. Mitch remembers. And he'd look in the mirror, and it was a skit on Saturday Night Live. And he'd always say, you know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. And he has every, every single week there would be some corny affirmation, right? Because we, we, we know. We know that we need something much more than just try to cover some snow over the you-know-what that is the deepest Jewish part of who we are. We need more than that. We need to experience the fear of the Lord. We need to experience his presence. Wisdom is always understanding what is most important. And we don't, see, we don't lack a knowledge. Uh, we lack facts in our head. But what it is that our soul's GPS is broken. So we've got all the streets. We've got all the raw data. But I don't know how to get from here to Ballasinwood. You know what I mean? I don't know how to get from here down to the shore. I got all the information. But I don't know how to have any sort of priority. I don't, I don't know what, what's more important than the other thing. I mean, I remember a woman talking to me and telling me about how she left her job. She, she was homeless, and she got all this traction, and she was working at this barber shop, and she left the job. And you want to know why? Because the people around the job were cursing. What are you talking about? Your sense of what's important is all, all broken, and you get stuck. You got a taillight out. And you're like, I can't go to the shop to fix the taillight because I don't have any gas. I'm saving my, my gas money <laughs> for the taillight. And you just don't know how to like make any type of sense of, you might know things on paper, but you don't know how to make use of it. The fear of the Lord, when you know that the Lord is the most important thing, all of a sudden the rest of life just sort of falls into place. And you, you're able to prioritize things. See, we're like vegans with our body, and yet we're like, we're just plowing through toxic food for our souls. We, 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 we try to do one thing really well, and the rest of our lives is going insane. And you're stuck, and I know what it is like to be stuck. And everybody here knows what it's like to be stuck. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard the expression, putting God first in your life. And like most Christian cliches, there's like truth to it. But also, that cliche is just loaded with fakeness. So many of us. You're talking to somebody and they're just coming out of addiction. You're talking to somebody and they got an anger problem. You're talking to somebody and they've been doing their life on their own for years and years and years. And you're talking about putting God first in your life. God isn't even last. He's not on the map. God's not a part of your life at all. You come in and doing like a token thing like maybe this will help me out. No, you got to get God in your life, Period. He, don't worry about that. He will. He has his way of becoming first. He has his way of just working around your heart, invading every area that's rebellious, right? But any, like you can in your power make God first in your life in like a day. That ain't going to happen.
You got to start way lower than that. You got to invite him in at all. See, because we are willful people and we are foolish people and we are fake people and we're consumed with other fears besides God. And this is why fear of the Lord frees us from fakeness and it frees us from foolishness and making bad decisions. Because we make bad decisions when we fear other things more than God. We fear people. We fear what they think about us. We just want to be liked more than anything else. We fear our bills. And we make crazy decisions because we fear poverty and we fear our bills. We fear sickness. And it's like, well, I'll get to you know, dealing with God and all that and, and, and doing the right thing. But like, I live in this world where I'm sick and that's the most biggest thing in your life. And it's not the most biggest thing in your life. It's not. You fear death. And the gospel is that, that death is not the biggest thing in this world. This is what the fear of the Lord means. That the Lord is bigger than sickness. He's bigger than death. He's bigger than your messed up finances. He's bigger than those habits you haven't changed in years and years. He's bigger than all of those things. And to fear the Lord is to recognize Him first before all else. What would it look like if you could be free from these lesser fears? Like, close your eyes for a second. And just imagine, like, what would it look like if you weren't ruled by money, health, ruled by all these things, needing to be liked by other people, needing whatever it is for you. See, the tractor beam is different for each one of us. And sometimes that makes us hard to relate to each other, right? Because you're like, I would never do what X, Y, that person does over there. And I would never do what that person does over there. But the reality is, is that we're all a lot more alike than we want to admit. And we just, we struggle to fear the Lord. H. Charles, a really good preacher. And if you, you know what I mean? Like you go on YouTube or whatever, you should look him up. It'll encourage your soul. He says that your past explains you, but it doesn't excuse you. Your past explains you, but it doesn't excuse you. See, one of the greatest things that we fear is we fear our past. And the challenges that you and I have faced ought to bring up a sympathy. It ought to bring up support. It ought to bring up people to come alongside us and to help us and to love us through it. But you know what? You, it doesn't give you, it doesn't give you a get out of jail card. You ever play Monopoly? No, you get, you, sometimes you roll, sometimes you get that card, and it says get out of jail free. Guess what? Life has few get out of jail free, and the ones you get, you're going to end up paying for somehow. <laughs> when you face a real judge, you plead guilty or not guilty, you don't plead hard life. And when you face the Lord, it's the same thing. You need to have a fear of the Lord. What are we doing? What are we doing if we're not recognizing God? 
What is this? And, 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 and I worry, I worry, and I've seen this, that sometimes we use our, our, the, the things that are legitimately difficult in our lives, and we use those things to position ourselves into a spot where we cannot hear from anybody. So, so we said, you know what, like, I've seen this where we can lean on the, hey, I have depression, and depression gives us, and it's real, and we're suffering, and we're struggling through it, but you know what also is true? In our depression, we are so isolated from other people that we start making huge decisions in our lives, and we pull the trigger, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and now we want, pe- we want to let people back into our lives after our lives are a mess now. And we've made these crazy decisions. And they weren't with us. Nobody was with us. You know why nobody was with us? We didn't let them be with us. We pushed them out. Sometimes we use these things to go and do what we always wanted. We just wanted to do anyway. I've seen people use past challenges with church to, to have them walk around with the limp and to, you know, they had a bad experience at a church. Now it's like, I can't, you know what I mean? I, I don't know if I can jump in. I don't know if I can serve. I don't know if I can do X, Y, and Z here because I experienced A, B, and C there. I've seen people be isolated to the point where nobody can jump them up. I don't know, like a while ago, I preached a sermon about get out of your head, Right? And how when we're anxious, the last thing we need to do is like, you know, like, oh, yeah, your life is really bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you should be stressed out. I don't know what you're going to do. You don't pour gasoline on a fire, right? You need friends that can jam you up. And sometimes they need to joke you up, right? Like, sometimes they need to distract you and it can't be them just critiquing you all the time and them just, like, kicking you all the time, right? But you need some real friends, I can say hard things to you. Well, guess what? Sometimes we just isolate ourselves just enough so that no one really has that card in their pocket for us. We are not around. We don't build relationships. We come and we help out and we worship once in a while. But make that effort to get to know someone to the point where they can jam us up which is what we need you know what helps us snap out of these things it helps us snap out of like using our our genuine sicknesses using our genuine pain in our past using our becoming isolated from other people you know what helps us out and and wakes us up out of all that it's the fear of the Lord. It goes a long way. Fear of the Lord, it, it gives you the strength you need, the, the little bit of strength you need to get out of the way for that boulder that's about to fall in your head. We need the fear of the Lord. You know, we lack wisdom and we lack a fear of the Lord in areas that are darkest in our lives that we don't share with anybody else. And that's one of the reasons why in the next few weeks, we want to start these shepherding groups. And what we want to do in these groups is we want to have some people who come to my house, some people who come to Brian McDonald's house, who we had a, a, a barbecue meal at um, this summer. And we want to, 
we've sort of we sort of broke it down and said, listen, we want you know certain people go this group and certain people go this other group. If you've been if you're in this room, like we've thought about it and prayed about it, and we we really want you to be in community, share a meal. That's not like when we do our community meal and there's a hundred people and we got to break up a fight and people are taking too much food and it's chaotic, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? It's a loving outreach, but it's not one where you're going to like bear your soul. So we're talking about a group of like 10 adults, right? Where you can come and talk, where you can come and break bread. And we're talking about doing this once a month. And honestly, these gatherings... I mean, we're going to put a lot of pressure on you to be there. Like, this is how the church is growing too large for us to just depend on people just organically knowing each other and shepherding each other. And for me to always be the first one to call someone up when they haven't been to church for a couple of weeks and they're drowning and they're struggling. We need to have more structure in how we care for each other. And in these shaming groups, I want to promise you one thing. No one will be shamed. At the same time, nobody has to stay the same. Like we believe those two things need to go together. Where we're not shaming people, but at the same time, at the same time, you're being challenged to change, to grow. In God's household, there are no conditions. You can come off the street abused, used, and rough. At the same time, it doesn't mean that there's no expectations. It doesn't mean that five years in after being pulled in off the streets, now you're still acting the same. God calls you to change and to be transformed. Dylan preached a bomb sermon last week when I was gone. And he preached on winning others to Jesus. And that Christ in us brings life to others. Nobody brings dishonor to God. Nobody brings dishonor to God by coming in a mess to God. Do you hear me? Nobody. Like, I don't care if it's the most notorious people in Gloucester City. They come in. There's no dishonor to God for them to come in and to hear the gospel. I've heard it, and I completely rebuke it. I'll be at the post office, at the pizza shop, whatever. Oh, I heard so-and-so goes to your church. What's your point? (laughs) Right? But we do put people away. When we finish in the same place we started... See, the fear of the Lord has to apply to all our lives. In Proverbs 8, 13, it says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So you put these things together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And what you get from that is that to hate evil is the beginning of knowledge. We can't be loving raggediness and evil and drugs and drama and have vendettas and be living like we used to live and that come off and smell good to those outside. We got to change. Now, how that smells in the nose of others outside, okay, that's one thing, but how does that smell in the nostrils of the living God is another. We are called to change. John Owen, a man who I named my firstborn son, after. Oh, 
He said, you know what, you need to, and you got to decide for this. We need to, we need to file our divorce papers with sin. Like, not like, oh yeah, like, we not together, but he still lived with me because we got kids together, and like, sometimes I fool with him, but I'm trying to kick him out, but I don't have $179 to get the paperwork. No, you need to file the papers and be divorced from the evil things that you're doing in your life. You need to find that $179, and you need to do it. You need to just go and do it and pull the trigger and do it. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but you can't be living at it with peace. You can't just be living in the filth and be at peace in that. We've got to repent. We've got to change. We've got to grow. That's what the fear of the Lord does in our lives. So we got to put sin, our selfishness, our violence, our hood loyalty that has us holding the hands of our kids and our cousins and our grandkids and whatever, and we're holding their hands even if they're dragging us down to hell. Now you got to let go sometimes. The fear of the Lord confronts our inconsistent lives. So we can be singing loudly on Sunday but then drinking ourselves to sleep on Monday. What's up with that? We're serving the church, but we're feeding a hidden addiction. We're sharing a word of encouragement to a lonely friend, but then on the side, we're not paying our bills, and then on the side, we're committing fraud. We decide who, who gets hurt by how we do X, Y, and Z. When the fact is, we ain't called to hurt anybody. We're called to live a righteous life. We don't get to like make a list of priorities of like who we can hurt and who we can't. How does that smell the world? When, we, when we're all about Jesus, 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 and then on the side, we, we just totally irresponsible. So what does this snowball, right? What does this snowball have that we have in our hands? How do, how do we become this consistent, this consistent person? There are two extremes, and then I want to close. There are two extremes that we sort of fall into. And, and the one is, I remember when I was serving in Kensington, and we had this guy named Mr. Ron. You might have heard a story before. Mr. Ron wouldn't come to church, but his wife and kids and many other people would come. But every couple months, Mr. Ron would come at the end of service, and he would be dressed up in an all-white tuxedo, and he would talk to me, you know, and I felt like I was in a scene, like, in Batman, you know what I mean? You got that, that, that like, gangster vibe, and it wasn't just a vibe. He was a G, <laughs> Mr. Ron, Mr. Ron was G, and he would come in, and he'd be like, listen, pastor, can I have some time alone? I'm going to come up to the altar after the service is done. He, he would do this a few times. And eventually I asked him, I'm like, what's going on? And his, his answer was this, I, I want to come to God, but I, if, I, if I come to the Lord and I serve him and I be a Christian, I'm going to really do it. So that was what was holding him back. He had to present himself perfectly to the Lord. And the moment he messed up, he ran high and hid. That's not what I mean by a consistent life. I don't mean you never mess up. 
I don't mean you present yourself after working real hard and you get that white tuxedo, you kneel down the altar, and now I'm really going to do it. I'm really going to serve Jesus, right? And you mess up on Monday. That's not what I'm talking about. At the same time, at the same time, I'm not talking about like, you know, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings where, where Gollum has long, you know, been retired from his journey, and not Gollum, where um, Bilbo, right? And they go and he's in the elven city, and guess what? He sees the ring of power, and you're like, I lost like most of the people here. Super nerdy um, analogy. Anyway, he got the, <laughs> the ring of power sort of slips out of his his chest, and you know what? It, what happens is like all of a sudden he, his, his, the, his, the color of his face changes, and he tries to grab it, and he hisses like my precious, right? So, so like we cannot say we have the fear of the Lord when there are certain areas of our life where we have no breaks, where we just go hard for evil, where we just do what we want to do. The fear of the Lord, it restrains us. It keeps us, no, I'm not saying a fear of the, it's not like fear of your stepdad beating you. Because we know that if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. But we can have a good, real dad who loves us and still be in awe of him. Still want to please him and still want to do what's right. Because we know that he'd be disappointed in us. And that's the kind of fear that we need to have of the Lord. There's so much more to say to this. But we've come to the end. I just, let me just pray for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that the lesser fears in our lives wouldn't rule us. We wouldn't be ruled by the fear of sickness and death and fear of our past and just all the things that trip us up. Lord, help us to know what it means to be in awe of you. Like when we go down to the beach and we see the ocean and we're, we want to kind of run away because the thing is so much bigger than us. At the same time, we're drawn in. Lord, let us be in awe of you. Let us be speechless before you. Let us cry tears. Let us really see you for who you are and let it transform us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.